0: Welcome, you're listening to audio of Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. At ICC, we are being transformed by Jesus to impact our world. Wherever you are as you listen today, we want you to know that we love and appreciate you. We're so glad you're here. We hope today's message will help you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at ICCMemphis.com. Thanks again for joining
1: us. Well, good morning, church family. Good to see you this morning. I'm Barrett and Lee pastor here. If you've got your Bible, I would encourage you to get it open to the Song of Solomon, or in some Bibles it might be called the Song of Songs. Today we are gonna be in chapter five, starting in verse two as we continue our series, Living Loved. We've been talking um, throughout this book about many themes. Um, But I want to tell you this morning that I have been very eager to be able to teach you this particular passage today because I believe what we're going to be talking about today is something that every single one of us experiences over and over again. And it's something so desperately needed in our relationships, particularly in our relationship with Jesus, the lover of our soul. This is the theme of the Song of Solomon, Jesus lover of my soul. If you haven't caught that already, there it is. The Song of Solomon highlights again and again and again the joy of finding intimacy in the relationship of marriage. So it's obvious that there's a guy and a girl in the book and they're in pursuit of one another in love. They end up engaged, they end up married as we were at in the story last week, and it is a love tale. It's a, a story about that on the surface, but it's so much more than that. Uh, because ultimately this book is pointing us to the intimacy, the joy that can be found in the intimacy of us and Jesus, the great lover of our souls. The Bible over and over gives a picture of Jesus being the lover, being the, the bridegroom, being the husband, and of us being the beloved, being the bride, being the wife. And over and over again, this marital, this marital imagery shows us in concrete ways that Jesus is love and what it is like to live loved by him. God's heart again and again in the book is this, I love you like this. Again and again, he's, he's wanting us to understand just what his love is like, who he is, how he loves us, and what it looks like to live a life loved by him. I've been basing a lot of what I've been teaching off of what God has taught me through this book and also through a book it was written by a guy named Julian Hardiman. I was emailing with him just this week. He wrote a book called Jesus Lover of My Soul, and I'm very happy that his book sales are increasing in Memphis through our church. Um, that's what I emailed him this week. I was like, I hope you're happy. Um, although he cares nothing about the monetary value, I know his heart. Um, he doesn't care about that. But I am happy that many are picking up the book and are reading it. Um, this message in particular today, uh, I was deeply touched by and shaped by through Julian's work in this book, and I'm so grateful for him. So this morning we continue our Living Loved series, and together we're gonna be looking today at chapter five, starting in verse two, and we're gonna be covering a lot of ground. We're gonna go all the way through verse eight. Strap your seatbelts, okay? Um, It is gonna be a wonderful opportunity today to hear God's word. We're gonna be talking today, and I hope you'll take notes throughout the morning. The title of today's message is Let's Talk About Intimacy, broken let's talk about intimacy broken and we're gonna be looking at this through the scripture and I'll read from the ESV it's on the screen if you don't have your Bible but if you have your Bible I encourage you to look at your Bible and follow along God's Word says this I slept but my heart was awake a sound My beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is wet with dew and my locks with the drops of the night. I had put off my garment. How could I put it on? I had bathed my feet. How could I soil them? My beloved put his hand to the latch and my heart was thrilled within me. I arose to open to my beloved and my hands dripped with myrrh, my my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned had gone. My my soul felt me When he spoke, I sought him, but I found him not. I I called him, but he gave no answer. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. They beat me, they bruised me, they took away my veil. Those watchmen of the walls. I assure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him I am sick with love. This is God's word. This morning we're going to be talking about intimacy broken. Intimacy broken. From these verses in the scripture. And I hope that you'll follow along as best you can. Um it's very clear, you know, if you look at the start of verse 2 not here on the screen, this is actually the second part, but I want you in your bible to look at the first part. It's important to understand the context of what's going on. It appears that In this moment, the couple is married. I told you before that the the storyline is not exactly linear. It's painted like an abstract painting. It's not uh, as literal as sometimes we feel comfortable with, some of us. Um, But it does appear that this is happening in the context of a marriage relationship. And in fact, what we looked at last week was the moment, y'all remember this, the kind of climax of their expression of love as they committed in covenant relationship to one another, and then had the opportunity to express that fully and freely with one another in intimacy, in the wedding night. We talked about that last week. Well, it appears here that there's this verse, this moment is happening in the context of that marital relationship, but if you look at verse two, the very first line in here, it says, I slept, but my heart was awake. Y'all see that? I slept, but my heart was awake. Um, It seems to imply that what's going on may not be literal, but it may be figurative. It may be some kind of nightmare that the woman is having, okay? There's something going on in the middle of the night. She's seeming to describe to us that she's sleeping, but in very many ways, it felt like her heart was racing. Anybody ever had a night like that? And you wake up and you can't barely tell the difference of what's, what's real and what's not. It seems like the context uh, is, is something of that sense. But what we see is the next line, what's very obvious is, says a sound, my beloved is knocking. So what she's sensing, whether it's real or not, is that her loved one is coming to her and is wanting entry, is wanting access. Now we talked last week about sexuality and more importantly, intimacy being like a a walled garden And it being like something that is so wonderful and so beautiful and and something so private and and that there's a key required. And and we talked about last week what that looks like in marriage to hand the key to one another and to invite another in to those most intimate places of our heart, our soul, our life, our bodies. And, And here what we have is a description of how he's asking to come in. And if you continue to look there at the rest of the verse, and I think this is on the screen, He says there, open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my my perfect one. So clearly, here's what's happening. The lover is expressing a desire for intimacy, all right? No doubt about it. The lover is expressing a desire for intimacy. You can put that on the screen. So as you look at the book, remember what you've got here is a husband and a wife at face value. And he's basically going, hey, like, I'd love to to come in. I'd love to make love to you tonight. And essentially what we have is an expressed invitation for this intimacy. Now, you remember, let's go back to what we learned about in the early part of, the later part of chapter four, the early part of chapter five, right? It's an express invitation to intimacy. And this express invitation to intimacy is not the first time that they've experienced this intimacy. So in fact, we'd have to label this as an express invitation for intimacy again, all right? Because what's happening here is he's actually coming to her again. He's saying, I, I want to be with you in that way once more. Open to me, my my sister my love, my dove, my perfect one. Now, if you go back to the trail of where we were at the end of chapter four, if you remember the invitation from the lover from the very beginning, remember? Come experience my love, he said. A declaration followed that. I want to show you just how much I love you, a desire. From him followed that. Will you choose to allow me to love you in intimacy? His delight expressed after that. The, I want to show you the full and felt expression and experience of covenant love. But you remember as we turn the corner into chapter 5, at the beginning of chapter 5, the exhortation of the crowd was to keep on dwelling in this experience of intimate love. To not let that one experience be the end of the experience, but just the beginning. Verse 1 of chapter 5, you remember we read it together, eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. So the opportunity is to keep on dwelling in that intimate love. So if you go then to verse 2, interpret it in the context of what we've just journeyed through a good husband who is madly in love with his wife, who wants her to know just how much he loves her, who invites her, will you, will, you, will you allow me to love you like this? Will you allow me to love you fully and freely? I want to show you just how much I love you. And we've heard the exhortation, keep on dwelling in this love. So here in chapter two, as he comes again, he's coming to live out the exhortation that they've received. He's coming to continue on inviting her and entreating her to experience and receive from the intimacy that he desires to give. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. Next comes her response, all right? Response from the beloved. Verse 3. I had put off my garment. How could I put it back on? I had bathed my my feet. Uh, How could I soil them? Her response is essentially, uh, no, not right now. If you uh, have ever been married, you could probably understand the interplay that happens sometimes between husband and wife. Uh, I, I'm in the middle of something Uh, I'm just too tired. I feel kind of gross. I'm not feeling the best. Uh, I got to wake up kind of early tomorrow morning. Whether it's internal, whether it's something relational, whether it's something external, the reality is I think in the context of marriage, every spouse could understand a moment of going no not now now what you got to understand is a question might come is this her right to refuse and the answer is yes absolutely I touched on this last week and I don't want to rehash what I already taught last week But I do want to say, even in the context of marriage, men and women, there needs to be mutual respect for one another. Intimacy is a choice that should be made freely. There's an old concept of conjugal rights that used to be talked about decades, centuries ago, as if Once married, the covenant of marriage itself gave the husband or the wife the right to do anything to the other as they pleased. And what ended up happening was gross abuse of power and relationship in the context of even marriage itself, reports of rape and abuse, even within the context of marriage. And the scripture is clear about this. I'm not going to teach it today, but it sounds like I'm kind of teaching it because I'm getting riled up. But 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you can look at it later, explicitly speaks to seasons in a marriage where a husband or a wife may refuse sexual relationship for a moment or even for a period of time. And there's understanding and permission given to that when it's for meaningful purpose. Now, what the Scripture says is in 1 Corinthians 7, that if that were to go on without meaningful purpose or too long without any kind of conversation, it needs a meaningful conversation in the context of that relationship so that there can be understanding and opportunity to regain what God does desire and design for marriage, and that is ongoing intimacy, and even intimacy in the context of sexuality. But is it her right to refuse? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I pray for God honoring marriages in our church that show mutual respect and value one to the other, knowing that intimacy is a choice that should and can be made freely. Amen? But her response is, no, not not now. But what's interesting about this moment is it doesn't seem that her response to say no to the invitation to continue intimacy is well-founded. And we see that as the story goes on. She even kind of changes her mind and recognizes her error. But in the moment, it, it just seems like she's just like, no. What we've got to do here is remember that there's something deeper going on in this story. Do y'all remember that? Because this is something more than just about a husband or a wife. In fact, we talked about, just a second ago, Jesus being portrayed as the lover, as the bridegroom, as the husband, and us being portrayed as the beloved, as the bride, as the wife. How all of this in Song of Solomon is, is concrete imagery to help us understand in concrete ways who he is, what he is like, and what it looks like to be loved by him. God's heart, through the lover in this book, is saying to you, I love you this much. I love you like this. Jesus is the lover of our soul. And I ended the message last week by hoping you to see Jesus' invitation to dwell in intimacy with you. He loves you so much. He loves you so much, so much more than you could ever understand. The prayer of the scripture for you is Oh, I just pray that you would get how, how big. The love of Jesus is for you. that the Holy Spirit might touch your heart to really get it. Like, he loves you so much, friend. And he wants you to dwell with him in this joyful intimacy of life. Again and again and again, he, he wants to dwell with you in joyful intimacy. We talked about the relationship to the passage Last week, but the relationship this week is Jesus coming to us, the lover, and expressing an invitation to us for intimacy again. And Jesus does that with you on a daily basis, on a moment-by-moment basis. He entreats you, come and dwell with me. Come and live in a place of joyful intimacy with me. Again and again and again. Open to me, my loved one. That's his heart toward you. Open yourself to me. Let me come in. And the scripture speaks directly of his entreat toward us. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Something very similar, isn't it, to the passage that we see here in Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 2? Hold a sound. A knocking at the door from the one who loves me and is entreating me, let me come in. Jesus says in Revelation chapter three, verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Can I come in? Will you allow me to come and love you? Will you allow me the opportunity to to show you how much I love you and to dwell with you in the place of intimacy? I stand at the door and knock. Behold, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, if you would just open, I'd come in and I'd eat with you and and you with, with me. See, Jesus desires full and felt commitment and intimacy. We talked about it last week. Is His invitation, come experience my love. His declaration, I, I want to show you just how much I love you. His desire, will you allow me to come in and dwell with you in intimacy. His delight, the full and felt expression of his covenant love and the opportunity. Keep on dwelling. This is the word to us, the exhortation is, keep on dwelling in that place of love with your true lover in intimacy. And if it's up to Jesus, you know his choice, because in Revelation three twenty, he describes himself as a lover who stands at the door and knocks. And he longs for us to hear his voice and to allow him in. The question is not whether Jesus invites us and desires for us to continue on dwelling with him in love and intimacy, the question is what is your response? What is the response of the beloved? And in this case, as we look at the deeper meaning, you are the beloved. You're the one who he set his affection of love upon. What is your response? What is your response to the desire and the invitation of Jesus? Too often in my own life, and maybe you can relate to it in yours, too often, our response to Him is, no, uh, not, not right now. We hear Him entreating us <laughs> to enjoy time with Him in the Word. The, the, the Beloved comes to us. Let's start the day together. Let me talk to you, let let me pour myself into you. Let's begin this day together. And too often we hit the alarm clock, turn over. Let's talk together, let's spend time in prayer. Let's hear one another's heart, Let's, let's give space. Sitting together, looking at one another's faces in silence. And too often, our response is filling our time. Phone, scrolling, news. So often we hear his voice, his entreat. Come, come, cast yourself into my arms. Come to me and, and... and bear your soul to me, and and trust me, lean upon me, let me love you. And too often, even as we hear his voice knocking, we refuse and we'll choose to remain independent, we'll choose to clamp down and control. With our words, or maybe with our actions without words, It seems that, similar to verse three in the song, you know, we just make excuses. Uh, 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 Well, not now. How could I now? Maybe I could say it like this. Sometimes, when He draws near, we draw back. Sometimes, in my life, As we hear the invitation of Jesus to come and dwell with him in intimacy, he draws near. And yet all of us know our hearts. All of us know that there are times in which we we just draw back. And this is a choice. This is a choice that you can make Again and again, in relationship with Jesus, how will you respond to his invitation to you to dwell with you in intimacy? Well, verse four, something interesting happens. If you look back at your scripture, the the beloved makes another movement. It seems like he's continuing to entreat her, and he's pressing in. It says, my beloved put his hand to the latch. Suddenly she, she feels some movement with the door itself. And something in her, I don't know exactly what it is, but something in her, you can read how poetic the words are. There's a newly awakened desire in her. My heart was thrilled within me. Verse five, I arose to open to my beloved. My hands drip with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt. But interestingly, as we continue to read, as she gets to the door, she opens, and he's not there. My beloved has and gone, and her heart sinks. The scripture describes how she goes out to, to look. How, it says in, there in verse 6, I, I sought him, but I found him not. I called him. She's going out to look. She can't find him. She's, she's calling out for him. There's no answer. And for a moment, she's aware she's lost him. Verse 6 describes for us in very clear ways this, an invitation that has been rebuffed or rejected, you could say, if you don't like the word rebuffed. That's not a very common word. An opportunity that's been missed, an experience that's been forfeited. The reason I called this message, what I called it, was this is a picture of intimacy broken. A picture of intimacy broken. As she basically says no, and she basically closes her heart as she denies and forfeits the experience, it is a picture of intimacy broken. And on the deeper level, so all of us who are married can understand intimacy broken in the context of marriage. Different moments in our relationship and the dynamic of relationship where there is hurt, where there's sensed rejection, whether it's verbal, or whether it's just with action indeed. Experiences that are forfeited. Intimacy that for moments or seasons feel lost. And on the deeper level, we have to all understand that this also can happen in our relationship with Jesus. This is why the scripture is so clear to us in passages like Ephesians chapter four, verse 30. God comes to us and he says, "'Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, In other words, there are times in your life where the Holy Spirit is pursuing you in love, where the Holy Spirit is entreating you, inviting you, knocking, and there are times in which you can hurt the Lord's feelings. He's gonna keep loving you, but there are times in the dynamic of your relationship that as you close your heart as you say no as you reject his invitation that there is a felt sense of loss a felt shift in the dynamic of your relationship with the Lord himself you can grieve the Holy Spirit and another place in Hebrews chapter 3 verses 7 and 8 it says therefore as the Holy Spirit says today if you hear his voice the knocking the calling out It's a a picture that God gives us of the way that Jesus pursues us in love. And Hebrews says, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Be careful. Be careful. Don't get to a point with the Lord where he and his great love for you stands knocking and entreating you, and yet you're resistant to the very one who loves you the most and who has the most to give. Be careful. Well, the passage goes on in verse seven and describes something super weird. I cannot lie. I, um, it's weird, and it's a little bit scary, okay? I do not understand exactly what's going on because earlier when we saw the watchman, we saw them as friends to this woman, when she had lost, when she had lost, uh, felt distant to her love. Now interestingly, the difference of the last time when I talked to you about distance, do y'all remember that message? And this time is the last time there was nothing that could explain the distance that was between her and her beloved. This time though, there is something to explain it and it's her rejection of him. And it does complicate the aftermath of the choice that she made. But the watchmen appear again in the story, and in verse 7, I don't understand what's going on here. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. And again, think about this as potentially, which I do believe that it is, my heart, my, my body slept, and my heart was awake as a nightmare. They beat me. They bruised me. They took away my veil, those watchmen of the walls. What I take in this passage is that there is a profound sense of loss and woundedness that this woman is trying to express to us. The impact of intimacy broken is always going to be some sense of pain. So, some sense of, e- even the people who, who, who you turn to yeah, leave you more frustrated, more, more hurt. There, there's an expression of the woundedness. It almost feels as if like life is beating you up. Y'all know those feelings? Where the, where the woundedness and the loss is so deep that in the horrors of this dream that She's just feeling left beaten up. And I know (laughs) from my own experience that there are times in which I have... Think of Peter. We talked about it just a few weeks ago on Easter Sunday. Think of Peter. In the presence of Jesus as he's being wrongly accused, He's being put on trial. He's being beaten, mocked, and scored, laid across upon his back, drugged to a place of crucifixion. Peter is there in his presence, and Peter's, there's a knock, there's an opportunity for Peter to identify with Jesus and experience greater intimacy with Jesus and union with Jesus. In the moment of the questions, people are asking, are you one of his Are you one of his, are you one of his? And again, and again, and again. He does not say yes to Jesus. He says yes to his own flesh. And in doing so, he says no, I am not one of Jesus's. He says no to Jesus. And you all remember the moment where Jesus looks Peter in the eyes. And what is the result of that? Peter weeps bitterly. The profound sense of loss, and all of us in this room know it. Moments in which you have looked upon Jesus, you have heard him knocking and you've heard his voice, and rather than saying yes to him, you've said yes to yourself or some sin, And in the aftermath, the Holy Spirit of God, if you're truly his, will convict you to your heart. And you know, and whether it's visible or not, on the inside, there's there's a deep bitterness of soul that will come over us in moments of sin. There is a sense of loss. Peter returning back to fishing. All of us have experienced those moments. This is real. This story is our story, is it not? And what I want to do now is I want to talk to you about two of the most common ways that we often forfeit intimacy with Jesus. This is also a common, both of these ways are ways in which we often forfeit intimacy with our spouses or with our fiancés, or with our girlfriends or boyfriends in pursuit of the potential of covenant marriage. But it is especially true in the context of our relationship with Jesus. And what I'm about to talk to you about may feel a little bit uncomfortable. I've never spoken as directly as I am about to on the subject that we're about to talk about. But it's something that i believe that we believe as an elder team is incredibly important because we see in personal stories walking with one another and with our church family that this is wreaking havoc on the potential the desire of god for intimacy with him and with others in our life hardyman deals with this extensively in his books, and I'm so grateful for that as well, and I just pray that in some way this morning you will be helped. The two things that I want to talk to you about this morning as huge blockages, causes for us forfeiting intimacy with God is number one, pornography, and number two, sex outside of the marriage covenant. Pornography and sex outside of the marriage covenant. When I talk about pornography, of course, I'm talking about that which is not new to this generation. It is made more accessible, of course, by the presence of smartphones and cameras in this generation. But we're talking about reading looking at hearing sexually stimulating material, usually online nowadays, although not always, and usually accompanied by masturbation. When we're talking about sex outside of marriage, I'm specifically here talking about a choice. There are many of us in this church that experience great brokenness, hurt, loss, woundedness because of choices of others and not our own. And I certainly want you to know that at the end of this message, there will be a presentation of God's heart for restoration that is certainly yours. If you have experienced sex outside of marriage by no willing choice of your own, I do not want you to feel guilt (laughs) condemnation this morning but only God's heart of hope and restoration but specifically here what I'm talking about is choices that we make things that we're responsible for that we're willing participants in outside of the covenant of marriage now I said to you (laughs) that I called this message intimacy broken And this is, both of those are reflections of intimacy broken, right? I know for the rest of the message, you're just gonna sit there and look at me, I'm gonna get no response. And that is okay, because this is such a sensitive and very private moment between you and the Lord. So I'll ask some questions perhaps, you don't have to say anything, okay? You don't have to say anything. It is intimacy broken though, right? Do y'all remember over and over in this book, um, we've heard a certain appeal again and again and again. Three different times uh, we've covered this. Let's look at it. Chapter 2, verse 7. This is the first time we, we heard it. We've heard this over and over. I adjure you, O or of Jerusalem, by the gazelles of the doze of the field, that you do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Y'all remember hearing that? We hear it again a second time in chapter 3, verse 5. Same exact thing. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles of the does of the field, that you do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. We're going to hear it one more time in chapter 8, verse 3. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. What is this? Anytime you see repetition in the scripture, any scripture is... God breathed and imported, but anytime you see repetition, you're going, I need to pay attention to this. Here's the deal. The song celebrates intimacy, and the song celebrates even sexual intimacy. The good design of God, the way that God made us male and female, the the way that God gave us romantic passion, capacity for erotic feeling, sexual attraction, sexual intimacy. We talked about last week, the garden is beautiful. It is good, it bears amazing fruit when it's used in the way of God's design. But this song is also helping us know that it's like a caged tiger, perhaps. That if you release this good gift of God, this good design and beauty of God, this good capacity that God has given you at the wrong time and in the wrong way, that it could hurt you and even eat you alive. This refrain, if I had to summarize it, it would be this, put it on the screen. Be careful. Don't get ahead of yourself. Make sure that you're not going beyond what is right. That's the refrain again and again and again in the song. Here's the thing in the moment, and I'm talking to you, in the moment, there is Intense pleasure in sexual experience. Intense pleasure. But here's the thing you got to know. You put up the slide. Here it is. It's short lived. Whether we talk about sex in the context of marriage, whether we're talking about sex as pornography, sex outside the context of marriage, the actual moment, the actual moment of sexual intimacy is short-lived. But here's the thing. If this moment is shared in any other way than within the walled gardens of God's good design, if it's shared outside of the context of marriage or in pornography and masturbation, here's what, here's what's happening. The the intense pleasure is short-lived, but after the moment, here's what happens. Feeling guilty. Feeling defeated. Feeling isolated. I could add to that feeling insecure. Inevitably. That is what happens. One person who was interviewed as they were describing their own relationship with pornography in particular said this, porn does not have any long-term benefits, just long-term cost. It does not really have any long-term benefits, it just has long-term cost. Intimacy broken. I want to detail real quick some of those costs. I want to make a list. If you're making a list this morning or taking notes this morning, I would encourage you to make a list with me. Okay? There's four potential areas of impact and damage in this. Number one is with self, your own sexuality, and your own Ability to understand intimacy. I'll quote again from some research that was done by groups that are studying the effects of pornography on all of us. Pornography is an extremely alluring and compelling product, capable of delivering sexual pleasure, but at the same time, setting one up for sexual and great pain. Com- Compelling, alluring, but at the same time, setting us up. It's a lie. And only on the other side of it is great pain for you. Eight of the top or the most common serious negative consequences that researchers have documented by those who have become regular or addictive users to pornography. Number one, people will say, I'm easily irritated and depressed. Number two, I've become isolated from other people. Number three, I'm sexually objectifying people. Even self, one of the great harms of pornography, it makes you incredibly body conscious because you're falling into the trap of comparison. But you also just start seeing other people objectively for their own physicality and sexuality. Number four, I'm neglecting important areas of my life. Number five, I'm feeling bad about myself. Number six, I'm having problems with sex, like actual sexual relationship. Number seven, I'm engaging in risky and dangerous behaviors. And number eight, I've become addicted. Top point. One of the great impacts that it has in your own life whenever you turn to this, and it's not just pornography, it's also sexual relationships outside of a covenant of marriage, is you've got to recognize it is having a negative effect within you. There is cost that you are bearing yourself. Number two, it's not only affecting you, but it's also affecting others. It's affecting others. So, when you're, when you're engaging in that kind of sexuality, whether it's pornography or another person outside of marriage, he, here's the thing you're breaking into their walled garden. We described last week that God's good design, the nature of sexuality being a private, walled garden that should be kept under lock and key, and the key given to one who is committed to you in covenant relationship forever. And when that happens outside of that, you're essentially breaking in to the walled garden where you have no right to be. It might seem sweet. It might seem enticing. There might be fruits and fragrances at the time, but they're not theirs to give away. And it's certainly not yours to take. Particularly in the porn industry, one of the things that Ray Ortland has helped us with greatly in his new book on pornography came out a few years ago. He, he says... One of the things that we should aspire to is to, to overcome porn that we might restore nobility into the world. Because one of the things that we have to recognize as Christ followers, if any of us are engaged in that kind of material, do you even understand what it takes to get you that kind of material, the impact on other people? And I quote from a researcher. The porn industry loves to pretend that women in particular are happy, consenting adults who have found a way to make a nice buck for themselves. But there is much anecdotal evidence that this is untrue. That many women are coerced, bullied, and blackmailed into acts that degrade them and often leave them damaged physically and mentally. Our elder team has had personal pastoral experience walking with members of our body who have gotten caught up in the horrific porn industry and we can attest that the effects on those involved in that industry are horrific beyond anything that you can imagine How could we play any part in causing that kind of harm and horror into another person's life? How could we be complicit in harming and impacting others that much? May we be those who say no, because we know the impact, not only to self, not only to others, but Third, to our spouse, or if you're not married, maybe it's your girlfriend or your fiance. But there is a huge area of impact and damage to the one who you are in commitment with. I quote from someone from Hardyman's book who described his own journey out of porn and his reflection back upon his time while using it. I used to think that using pornography was no big deal but after reading the letter that my wife wrote about how my porn use made her feel, I now realized that it was basically the same as if I had a real life affair or if I had been with a prostitute in terms of the damage that it caused her and our marriage. The reality is when you're dealing in pornography or you're dealing in sex outside of marriage, and, and that becomes discovered, whether it, even before it's discovered, but especially after it's discovered. Let me tell you, I'll teach you something very important. Sexual sin undermines trust. Sexual sin undermines trust, and trust is the currency of intimacy. So one of the things you have to understand, friends. It's that when you're giving yourself to that, you are in a place of actually destroying the very thing that should be the conduit of intimacy in your relationship. And if you're in a sexual relationship outside of marriage and you're not married and you go, well, I'm not married, so I'm not undermining trust, I just would challenge you to think about how the fact that you're not married but still giving yourself completely in sexuality, how that creates immense insecurity within you And even within your relationship, the very thing that should come after commitment (laughs) as a, as a sign of, of the secure relationship that you have has come before commitment and it has destroyed your sense of security because sexuality was never meant to be given as a way of security. It was meant to be given as a way of satisfaction after the security of covenant. It, It undermines trust. It undermines trust, but I'll close this morning by talking about the fourth and most important of all the areas of impact. We've talked about self, we talked about others, we've talked about our spouse, fiance, girlfriend, whatever it is, but lastly, I wanna talk to you about the most important thing, and I'll close with this. I wanna talk to you about how it impacts our relationship with Jesus Christ. See, the thing is that sexuality, sexual intimacy points to a much higher and fuller intimacy that Jesus wants to share with our souls. See, the thing is about sex is it's, it's meant to point to something greater. i got news for you and, and I was asked last week how does this conversation relate to singleness, those who are singles, and I'm very mindful of those of you here in the room who are not married, who are singles and are walking through this series. And I want you to know all of this is for you because listen, sex is not ultimate. Only intimacy with Jesus is ultimate. I mean, yes, the book is helping us understand some things about the nature of sexuality for those who do choose to get married, but you can, you can experience intimacy outside of sexuality. And in fact, sex is a gift within the context of marriage, but marriage is not gonna be an eternal thing. But relationship with Jesus is an eternal thing. Sex is meant to help us see this deeper capacity for intimacy and help us to know that that is what will endure forever. And here's the thing, all of us have a problem. Our problem is this, that we can be tempted to look to sex to take Christ's place. We can be tempted to look to sexual experience to take Christ's place. This can happen within marriage, but this can especially happen when we're going outside of the fulfillment of sexuality within the context of marriage with pornography or other sexual acts. This is reality. We can be tempted to look to sex to take Christ's place. So much of what drives people into these kind of things, especially pornography, is just mood management. Because if, if, when you really d- dive into it, and by the way, if you're here today and you want help walking out of sexual sin, we would like to help you. Tom Crocker in our church is going to be our designated go-to. But we would love to help you walk through understanding how you got to where you are and how to come out of where you are toward the greater things of Jesus. But underneath, underneath, Your choice to move into sexual sin is often just mood management. And here's what happens. Sex offers you something. Here's a couple of words I can put up here. There's a soothing element to sex. There's an exciting element to sex. There's a bonding, securing element to sex. And here's the thing though. I remember earlier I told you it's short-lived. It gives intense pleasure, but these things are short lived when you're looking for that in the physical act of sex. And what happens is you're turning to something, but you're actually looking for Jesus. But you're turning to something else other than Jesus. Only Jesus can bring true peace, lasting peace. Only Jesus can bring true joy and lasting joy. Only Jesus can bring true security and lasting security for your souls. Friends, we are made for intimacy with Jesus. And so often, what we're doing is like the woman. He's knocking and his voice is calling, but we're saying no and turning to sex instead of Jesus. And the Bible says that there's a consequence to that. The theme of this book is Jesus, lover of our soul. Jesus as a lover, a bridegroom, a husband. We as the beloved, the bride, the wife. The Marital imagery all through this book is meant to help us know who he is, how he loves us, what it looks like to be loved by him. And here's what you gotta know as we talk about the impact on our relationship with Jesus, the Bible describes that as sin. And one of the ways that the Bible gives us to help us understand sin is this unfaithfulness to a loving husband. One of the ways that you can understand your own Sin, whether it's in the area of sexuality or maybe some other area, but we all have it. One of the ways that the Bible wants you to understand your choice is you are choosing to hear the great lover of your soul knock, to hear his voice plea for you, hear his t- desire to move towards you, to share intimacy with you, to fill your soul. And you are saying, no, I'm going to go and give myself to another. The Bible wants you to understand that is how sin is in your heart. That's how it is in your relationship with Jesus, unfaithfulness to a loving husband. That's why I described intimacy broken. Now, up to this point, I guarantee you that most of us are going, feeling convicted, feeling in ways probably like we have failed, in ways we, we wear our unfaithfulness, we bear a sense of our sin and shame, and many of us perhaps feel trapped. But friends, I don't wanna leave you in your sin, I want to point you to a savior. This, inti- this, this sermon was called Intimacy Broken, but friends, the end of the sermon is Intimacy Restored. <laughs> Is intimacy restored. There's a book in the Bible called Hosea. I don't have time to teach it this morning. I wish I did. I wish I could just sit here and y'all would be willing to sit for five or six hours on Sundays. It'd be so fun. <laughs> I'm not actually making you feel more guilty, am I? That's, that, I didn't mean to, but I wish I could teach the whole book of Hosea is what I was trying to say. In the book of Hosea, there's a picture of a husband, his name is Hosea, real dude, and the Lord tells him to go and marry this woman whose name is Gomer, don't think any of y'all's names are Gomer, probably not the names of your future children, but that's her name, Hosea marries Gomer. Gomer is a prostitute. Hosea, the most godly, wonderful as far as we could see, he loves, he's faithful to Gomer, And yet, in his pursuit of her, his knocking, his calling out, she rebuffs his invitation, forfeits the experience, and actually turns and goes and gives herself to men all over town. And yet, in the book, we see this picture of Hosea who, instead of going, that's it. Divorce, write in the papers, I'm out. Which could be his right. He continues to love her. He continues to pursue her. He starts showing up at the prostitute's house, calling her out, would you just come back? I love you, would you come back? He makes meals for her and he leaves them. He, he makes sure that she's provided for because she's in bondage. She, she's in a completely desperate situation and yet he keeps showing up to love her, to give himself to her, to, to, to leave meals at the doorstep. He invites, he invites his unfaithful wife back home. And at the end of the, toward the end of the story, what we see is not only does he invite her back home, but he learns that he, she's literally sold herself into this lifestyle of sexual bondage and captivity to the point that somebody, if she's going to get out, there's going to have to be a price paid. Somebody's going to have to redeem her to get out of where she's at. And in the book, though Hosea has already paid a price once, given himself in love once, already secured himself to her once, the covenant marriage so deserves for her to reciprocate that love, he chooses to move toward her, not only inviting her back, but redeeming her, redeeming his unfaithful wife from captivity at great cost to himself. He pays the price and he redeems her. Now, what you learn in the book is that this whole thing was God's instruction to Hosea. God actually told Hosea to do this. And you go, what? Why in the world? And the scripture tells you, Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. And the Lord said to me, go again and love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. The Bible says that God wanted Hosea to do that because God wants you to have a picture of how much he loves you. The lover, the true lover in the story is God And the woman in the story is you. You're unfaithful. You've said no so many times. You've turned your back and you've given yourself to raisins and cakes, to porn and men and women, to thoughts, impurities. We're unfaithful. We reject the great lover of our soul and yet what we have in Hosea is a picture of Jesus. Jesus who keeps loving, who keeps pursuing, who keeps giving. A great lover of our souls, that though you've been unfaithful, invites you back. And a great lover of your soul, who redeems you from captivity. Not at a great cost to himself, at the greatest cost to himself, because he came and he lived and he died in your place. To pay the price, he went to the grave and he rose again, friends, and now the price has been paid, the work has been done, and you can be forgiven, and you can be set free. He has redeemed all who come, and friends, because of Jesus' intimacy broken, can be intimacy restored. Ray Ortland, in his book, comments. Sexual sin can be especially devastating because our sexuality is a profound aspect of our existence and violating sex is like picking up a highly sophisticated, delicate technological device and using it to hammer nails. In our natural incomprehension, we do not know who we are or how to live. Too soon, it is too late. But listen to this, but God gives us our virginity back. The scripture speaks in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. And another place in Isaiah is the same metaphors used of the unfaithful wife. It describes how the builder rebuilds her and clothes her in white garments again to be a beautiful bride, speaking, of course, of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Ortland goes on and says, Sad memories may linger, but they no longer define us. They are passing away. The truth about us now is this. We are not just patched up versions of what we once were. We are new creations in Christ. Altogether, the new has come. In fact, the new has come back, restoring to us treasures that we had once thrown away. May God be praised. I close this morning with a final picture. Remember we talked about this whole series being like a garden. Some of us probably feel like a garden ravaged. Some of that is choices we have made, much of it. For some of us, it's choices others have made to sin against us. And there can be times in our life where we go out and we look at the garden Instead of seeing beautiful flowers, instead of smelling good fruits, instead of seeing it under lock and key, it feels like the door's been flung wide open, robbers and thieves have come in. It's destroyed, it's disgusting. Everything uprooted, weeds abounding, stench in the air. But friends, we have a picture of a reality. given to us in the scripture that Jesus Christ came to be a savior of all who would trust him and in coming to be a savior, he came as a master gardener. And the garden that has been ravaged can become a garden that is remade. And if you come to Jesus and you put your trust in him, he can begin to pull weeds, he can begin to re sculpt. He can begin to replant. He can make you new. And the picture of Scripture is a Savior who loves to dwell with you again in a remade garden that flowers and flourishes because He is there to tend over you. Aren't you thankful for our Savior, the Master Gardener, Jesus Christ? We close this morning by moving into a time of invitation and I simply this morning want to invite you to come to Jesus and to be restored. The song of songs, the passage we're reading ends with the woman just saying, if if you've seen Jesus, would you just tell him my heart is sick in love with him? I know that my heart is for him. In other words, you have the woman who's going, I, I, oh, I'm so keenly aware that this is on me. Like, he entreated me to come. He's loved me. He's invited me to intimacy, but I said no. And that had a cost. And I just want him to know that my heart loves him like my heart really loves him it's like the peter moment with jesus do you love me peter's going lord you know that i love you i'm sorry this morning there's a there's a chance maybe for the first time you could come to jesus and you just say i'm sorry sorry it's on me I know it's on me and I just need you to know like I need your love don't stop loving me I believe you I've heard your word you love me you invite me you come to me you gave yourself for me you redeem me at a cost Jesus I give you the key just come in I'm so sorry would you remake my garden would you restore to me intimacy others of us have already come to Jesus before and we're secure in relation with him but we're not living in the freedom of what's possible because of him and you need today to be loosed of the change that Jesus has set you free from. You need to move out of areas of your heart and life where you're forfeiting intimacy with him. And you need to just come and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I want you to not love you. And I ask you to forgive me and to remake what has been ravaged. Father, I pray over our church. I pray, God, that today there would be movement, even now by your Holy Spirit, that you would move toward us. That we would hear your knocking, we'd hear your calling, and that we wouldn't resist, but we would open our hearts that times of refreshing may come, that there would be repentance, so that there might be forgiveness, there might be confession, so that there would be cleansing. Oh, Father, would you refresh and remake us? Would you give us a deep, deep desire to live in intimacy, a place of true joy and lasting joy with you. Thank you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand and just respond. There's prayer counselors coming forward. The altar is open. You're welcome to come and just pray even privately here. This is our time just to respond to Jesus. He is calling.
0: Thank you again for joining us for today's Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis. We want to encourage you to join us in person for worship soon. No podcast can ever replace the good design of God in gathering in person with other believers for worship in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with ICC, you can visit us at iccmemphis.com. As we close, We offer a prayer or blessing for you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Thanks again for joining us.